You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Radio Ramadan 365. You're listening to Millennium Discourses. My name is Sajad Ayub. You can listen to Radio Ramadan on FM 87.7 or 1530 on AM radio station or on our website www.rr365.co.uk. And if you're in your car, you can listen to it on the DAB radio station on RR365. We'll be discussing the Millennium Discourses as a 20-part series by Etzko Skatemer. Etzko is a Shadli Sheikh, uh, a teacher of the Shadli tradition. He's also founder of the skatemergroup.com, where enhancement of human excellence and leadership training and management consulting to organizations. It's been run for the last 30 years. Um, and I'm Sajad Yub, your host, and I'm an aspiring author, business development strategist, and life coach. And we look forward to, for you to join us for the next 20 series of Millennium Discourses. Millennium Discourses is a collection of discourses that was put together in the year 2000 by Sheikh Ibrahim. It's important aspects of our relationship to self and how we believe ourselves to be in the year 2000. Welcome back to Discourse 3, Consciousness and the Moment by Moment with Sajad Ayyub and Sheikh Ibrahim Skatema. Salaam alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum sir. So we'll get straight into it. Um, in Discourse 3, Consciousness, Moment by Moment, question I have is you use the analogy of a sculptor taking away what is not the sculpture from the rock. Can you explain this? So this is a, I think it's a useful matter. It is obviously metaphorical. Um, and it's based on a, on a comment of, so I, I've, uh, I've heard the same thing spoken of two sculptors. So I don't know who said it, who's the, the, the origin. The one is Michelangelo. Um, he, he was supposed to have said this. As, as well as Henry Moore, who was a, a sculptor of the 50s, uh, uh, 1950s, they both said, when I sculpt a horse, I take away all the rock that doesn't look like a horse. So there's a number of implications to that. So, so when this person looks at uh, a, a, a rock, this block of granite or this block of marble, whatever they're going to sculpt, they, in their mind's eye, see a horse in there. And their job is to liberate that horse. In fact, there's a, a wonderful sculpture of uh, uh, the, it's called a series of sculptures, actually, done by Michelangelo called The Prisoners. Um, and I think they, were, they weren't completed. So you see, you almost see the process of sculpting as well as the thing that he's sculpting by by looking at these sculptures, you get this incredible sense of this, literally like a, like a person stuck in the rock trying to get out. His arm struggling to be released from the rock, you know? So there's a being in that lump. 
And that being is seeking to emerge. Now, if the rock was sentient, assuming the rock could think, and the rock saw this sculptor sort of um, advancing on it with a chisel in one hand and a mallet in the other, with a deliberate intent to do the most unspeakable violence to the poor rock, I think the rock would panic and object, you know? And when it saw bits of itself get torn off and cast aside, it would be horrified, you know? But unfortunately, that is the price for the, the horse to emerge, for the being that is trapped inside this lump to come out. So there is a sculptor to your life. His name is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a you who is beautiful, amazing, extraordinary, I mean, beyond what you could ever imagine, both on the inward and the outward, but principally on the inward. But that being is now part of the undifferentiated mass of material and clay that you think you are, this blob. So what allows the blob to come out? Well, whenever he puts the chisel of the moment on you and he wields the, the mallet of catastrophe and he strikes, there's a bit of the you which is superfluous which is part of what makes you uninteresting, gets knocked off. Now, one of the tragedies of our life is that we spend most of our lives lamenting these things that get knocked off. Oh, it is such a hard, so hard. Not realizing that every loss, every knocking off, is allowing the being who you really are to emerge. Mm. So that's the metaphor of the, the, the sculptor. That's that he's the sculptor and he uses time as his chisel and he uses catastrophe as his mallet. And he, he, and by that, he calls who you really are out from the morass of who you think you are. The art of being alive is the art of living unconditionally. A tall order for the immigrant community in the UK. Can you tell me more about this? I didn't say the immigrant community in the UK, did I? Did I? I did. You did. Yes. God. <laughs> you say as a young person. <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe I didn't say that. Maybe this, uh, never mind. Um, <clears throat> so the art of being alive is the art of living unconditionally. I mean, so I think let's just let's just stick there and then see if we can reverse yeah. and engineer that for to any immigrant community, actually, because I do think that's mm. an appropriate comment. Because I, I too yeah. am the child, son of immigrants. I mean, my parents were Dutch immigrants to South Africa. Right. And so if you consider what the, the, the psychology of an immigrant is you have to battle with this new world to make a life because you are the intruder. 
so you have you have to work hard um, um make sure that you 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 you, you the, the house is paid that the kids are go, go through school that everybody gets an education that uh, you know that, that there's food at the table that you work really hard to make a life which kind of suggests there isn't one you have to make it you know um uh, and i think uh immigrants do have that uh, that way of looking at things very often um uh so 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 uh the the problem with with who we really are is that to find the life that he's created for us we have to forgo the life that we, we think we think we need to get we want to get so I mean, a, so a classical tra uh, tragedy with regard to this is that you get immigrant community. The second son has the most unbelievable flair for um, uh, sculpting, mm. for example. But don't you know that you have to go to university and become an engineer? Why do you think I'm doing all the sacrificing for you, my son? Mm. And so eventually that child gets completely subsumed into the parents' requirements of the child, and the child no longer has their own life. And then they're surprised that when the child goes to university, it ends up kind of a crackhead or, you know, just a washout. Because, well, what do you expect? You you'd see each one of us, there is a sense of, of our own calling, the thing that's inside us, that we need to pursue, and we pursue it by responding to how Allah patterns the world around us you know we need to try but part of becoming who we really are is to transcend the conditioning of what we've been made to be by our society our uh you know uh, you know uh, there's a there's a there's a hadith to that uh, to that end the has said that every human being is born in fitra it is their children, their parents who turn them into fire worshippers or Christians or, in other words, every, every human being is born in a pristinely sort of natural human state, the street, pristine sort of being. And it's our parents, our education that produces, uh, that educate us into this restricted conditioned way of being. So another way of understanding what we're trying to become is who we were originally, who we really were originally, before we had the accretion put on us. Now, you might say, but isn't this in contradiction to the point we just made about the sculptor? So actually, the, the, the sculpture is only finished once the horse realizes that actually it was always a horse. Hmm. The, the horse was in the rock right from the start. And that the, 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 the accretion, the layers of sort of the, everything that isn't the horse was actually layered on top of the horse. And then it took a, a series of catastrophes to then remove those things so we could discover who the horse was originally. So, so uh, these two things aren't necessarily contradictory to each other. We have to transcend our conditional motive. We have to forego who we think we are. We have to learn how to live unconditionally. 
that is discovering our essential nature that got covered by accretion. Thank you for that. Next question. Some people have regrets about the past. Do you think this is damaging and why? We spoke about before, we spoke about the metaphor of walking into a glass door. Mm. Now, one of the ways in which that happens is if you look behind you while you're walking towards the door. Mm. Now, if we can't, there's a, a little bit of a, an insult that you say to somebody who, who seems to be too wrapped up in their own story. So, look ahead of you. Stop looking behind you. Now, what, uh, whatever the things are that you regret, if these things soak up so much of your attention that you get completely embroiled in what was, is behind you, you're basically blind to life as it comes towards you. Hmm. So there's, 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 uh, there's uh, two ways that we carry accusation against life. We either carry accusation against ourselves or we carry accusation against others. Both of those are damaging. Both of those are disabling because they keep your attention trapped in an unresolved drama, which is in the past, which means your attention isn't in the moment looking at the, the, the role of existence, the screen of it that Allah is rolling in front of you on an ongoing basis. You're not seeing it because you, you're looking behind you. Right. So this journey is about learning how to not look behind you. That uh, istighfar, the point about istighfar, is that when you when you finally allow yourself to be covered, allow because you're saying, please cover me, you cover your fault. You're no longer it's finished. It's no longer. It means that when I lift up my head, I'm no longer constantly looking over my shoulder. The thing is, so I can see what's in front of me. Mm. So, so I think that's that's the that's that's what that means to me. Thank you for that. You call victims monsters. How can someone who is a victim of insult or hunger be a monster? So, so there's one. Well, be careful. I want to use this word. That doesn't mean to say that there aren't victims objectively in the world. Hmm. Um, if you walked um, down the road and you got mugged, you are coldly, reasonably, rationally uh, a mugged person. You are a victim of a crime. And to suggest that you aren't a victim of a crime uh, would somehow be a little bit bizarre. I mean, that you clearly a crime happened and you were on the wrong end of that event. So objectively, coldly, there are victims. This isn't the kind of victim that I'm speaking about here. I'm speaking about the person who assumes the status of a victim. Somebody who says, I have been done in. This is, um, uh, this is a very uh, uh, objectionable way of being. Because in the first instance, it's false. You would, one of the ways of looking at the status of victimhood, the status of thinking that I've been done in, is to say that you've been shortchanged. More has been taken from you than what 
was given to you. You or or that you gave more than what you you were robbed. You uh, that what more was taken from you rather than what you gave. It was an imbalance. It was an injustice being done. If more in just this moment that you're in now, if more got taken away from you than what was given to you in this moment, you would not be alive into the next moment. There's a whole fountain of blessing that gets poured out towards you moment by moment, which produces the possibility for you to stay alive moment by moment. Most of that blessing, I would say the vast proportion of, sort of, of that blessing, maybe 99.999% of that blessing, is stuff that you, you're not even aware of. Certainly things you don't have to manage. You know, you didn't have to manage the digestion of your breakfast. You didn't have to manage the peristalsis of your, of your, of your gut. You didn't have to manage the beating of your heart. You didn't have to manage the breathing of your lungs. There is a, there, or the synapses that make up your, your, your nervous system. There's literally an incalculable number of events that are constantly going right moment by moment by moment just for you to be able to stay alive into the next moment. How much of that have you paid for? So how can you suggest that you've somehow been done in? This is bizarre. So any claim to having been done in is choosing to make the significance of your life the speck of curse floating on an ocean of blessing. And insofar as you're doing that, you're doing, you are doing violence to the truth. It is not how things are. So any claim to victimhood is a false claim. It is a covering of the truth. It is kufr. That's what kufr is. It's a covering of the truth. The truth of the matter is that you no human being alive. It could be the most oppressed slave is actually a victim. Because no human being alive has actually had more taken away from them or was given to them. Because if there was the case, they would not be alive. Physiologically impossible to be alive. Now, why it's important to claim this issue, to recognize this is the means that how do, to be worshipful, which we, we keep on coming back to this theme, this is our first charge as human beings, means that you recognize that your life is stupendous and that life is stupendous and that you're walking through the miraculous and, and that, you, that it's, it's, it's all amazing. You know, so, so if that's what you recognize, then you don't have an accusation you know, it's the opposite. It's not, it's, it's not an accusation that you're looking at, at life with. It's with gratitude you're looking at life. Isn't this amazing? It's with appreciativeness. Now, the problem with people who think that they are victims, who are of the view that they have been done in, is that you cannot trust them. A victim is fundamentally and irrevocably untrustworthy. Why? Because if I am deeply convinced that I've been done in, then, then I think it's perfectly legitimate for me to get my own back. Which means to say, I think it's perfectly legitimate for me to do whatever I like to the other. Just go talk to anybody who you know has misbehaved. 
I mean, obviously, and it could be whatever the misbehavior is, and particularly somebody who's not, so somebody who's not admitting fault, you know, somebody who, you know, had an affair, was involved in a car, or, or drove over a child in a car, or did something, but they're not, they're not remorseful about it, you know, so you ask this person, you know, why did you do this? They will also, they will always have a narrative of being of of being of vindicating what they did on the basis of what was done to them. Speak to somebody who, for instance, is a habitual child molester. The very first thing he'll say to you is that I was molested as a child. Yeah. I mean, speak to somebody who 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 is a thief for a living. Why do you steal? Why do you steal other people's stuff? Because I was brought up poor. Uh, you know, uh, speak to somebody who beats his wife. Uh, why do you beat your wife? Um, because she keeps on insulting me. So the, the, the problem with the victim narrative is that it gives you license not to own up to your own misbehavior. It gives you license to accuse the other of your fault. So the only way to deal with this thing is to root out victim narrative in yourself wherever you find it, categorically. Do not permit yourself to carry a victim narrative, no matter how legitimate it is. Always find the blessing and the curse. Always find that which has gone right rather than gone wrong. Always affirm that which is affirmable and make that your truth. And don't make the truth of what's happened to you the curse of what you've experienced. You cannot trust what you're going to do while you're accusing. You'll actually make the thing worse, not better. Why is Alhamdulillah or Subhanallah the most appropriate thing to say about one's life, <clears throat> given whatever's going on. It again comes back to the, the point we've just made. If you, if you don't recognize that whatever you have right now, in this moment, is a the product of a stupendous overflowing of beneficence that you cannot account for is beyond your ingenuity, then you're not seeing it as it is. You're doing violence to the truth. And surely that's what you're saying when you say Alhamdulillah. That's what you're saying when you, when you, uh, you what you're saying is that, that all praise to him. By definition, all praise to him and none to me. Right? It's not alhamdulillah nafs. Alhamdulillah. Right? All praise to him. By definition, all to him, none to me. And so every time you articulate that, you are actually articulating the fundamental truth of being alive. The fundamental truth of... Uh, of, uh, of, uh, of everybody's existence, even the most oppressed person's existence. Hmm. And I mean, 
Subhanallah, for me, is, 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 is a voicing of all. So, so we're, you know, we're these tiny beings. We, we're stuck on this sort of metaphorical mountaintop with a spread of existence, the whole universe spread out like a carpet in front of us. It is extraordinary. It is amazing. But not only is it extraordinary and amazing, it is overwhelming. It is vast. And because it's overwhelming, it's terrifying. Because that which is over, you know, so, so it's appropriate to look at that and to be nervous, to be, you know. But because it presents itself as overwhelming, Allah presents his face. Wherever you look is the face of Allah. So he presents his face to you as something which is vast. And because it is vast, it is overwhelming. Now, what makes it possible for not to be, for me not to hide away in terror of that face? Of the you know, respond to the terror of being overwhelmed, the possibility of being overwhelmed. Well, the only what makes it possible for me not to respond to the terror of being overwhelmed is that I recognize that that thing that looks vast and terrifying to me is actually my benefactor and my ally. You know, it is not my enemy, it doesn't want to destroy me. Everything that I made up of has come from there, you know. And in fact, that catastrophe that I keep on, you know, the, the, like the, the uh, you know, the sun falling on my head, it, ha it hasn't fallen, the sky hasn't fallen on my head. You know, the sky is being withheld from me. So not ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, not only do I have the, am, am I alive because of blessings granted, I'm, be, I'm alive because of catastrophes withheld. When I do that, the, the, alhamdulillah. So my expression of gratitude means I recognize that this thing that is terrifying is my benefactor and my ally. It is on my side, it is not my enemy. The appropriate, and therefore I can be amazed at it and not terrified by it. I can say, subhanAllah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah <laughs> khair, Sheikh. That was very enlightening. Um, Again, we're running out of time. Alhamdulillah. And inshallah, thank you. thank you again. And we look forward to joining you in Discourse 4. Listeners, you are listening to Millennium Discourses. We will be back tomorrow with another topic. We would like to thank Etzko Skatema. Till tomorrow, Allah Hafiz from us all. <laughs>